Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Evan Gottesman. This program is brought to you by Israel Policy Forum and Terrestrial Jerusalem, an Israeli organization committed to tracking developments in Jerusalem that could impact the viability of a future two-state outcome. Now to today's topic. The status quo on the Temple Mount is one of the most fraught subjects in Jerusalem, a city where politics can hinge on religious and nationalistic sensitivities. Under this arrangement, which dates back to the time of the Ottoman Empire, Muslims can pray on the Mount while non-Muslims may visit. But parsing the distinction between praying and visiting is not so easy, and can carry deep ramifications for a place that is sacred to Muslims, hosts the holiest site in Judaism, and figures prominently in Zionism and Palestinian nationalism. On today's episode, we'll be breaking down what this all means, what a move away from the status quo could pretend. And before we begin, an announcement about our own status quo on the podcast. After this month, Terrestrial Jerusalem's podcast will be relaunching as an independent podcast, and Israel Policy Pod will be rolling out some new and exciting series and initiatives. We're grateful for the partnership with Terrestrial Jerusalem over the past year, and we're looking forward to what's to come in the future. Now, I'm joined, as always, by Danny Seideman, an attorney based in Jerusalem and founder of Terrestrial Jerusalem. Danny, thanks for joining. My pleasure. So let's go back to basics when it comes to the Temple Mount. Can you explain the different holy sites located there and their significance for Jews and for Muslims? Well, for Muslims, actually, there are dozens of sites on the Mount itself. I believe more than 30 and we've uh, just compiled a list of them and uh, written up profiles of them. Um, the entire site is considered to be sacred. Um, the most prominent uh, of the sites is the Al-Aqsa Mosque, um, which is the first Qibla, the first um, um, direction of prayer in Islam before it was moved in the, to the direction of Mecca. It's considered to be the third holiest site in Islam after uh, Mecca and Medina. Uh, there is the shrine, the Dome of the Rock, uh, in the center of the site, which is not uh, a mosque, even though it is probably the more famous structure, and it's certainly a, a, a stunning one. Um, the question as to what the mount is is actually becoming much more important. Um, in recent years, um, Palestinians and Muslims have been emphasizing that Al-Aqsa is not the structure, but the entire mount, and that the sanctity extends to the entire mount. Um, I even have a Palestinian friend who's quite an expert, former director of the Al-Aqsa Museum, um, who was shouted down because he used he used the term Haram al-Sharif and not al-Aqsa and um, attributed it to just to the structure itself. And what's the distinction between Haram al-Sharif and al-Aqsa? Uh, Haram al-Sharif is the noble sanctuary um, and generally is the term used for the entire 144, 37, 38 dunam. Um, and Al-Aqsa is uh, usually attributed to uh, the structure of the mosque 
itself, which is on the uh, southern border of the Temple Mount. Um, now, the sanctity of um, uh, the Temple Mount to Jews um, is much less focused. Um, and as a result of that, there has been very little Jewish presence uh, for many centuries. Um, the precise location of the temples is not known. Archaeologists dispute whether there was a first temple there at all, but let's leave that scientific debate aside. Um, but in the absence of precise knowledge where the temple was located, one cannot know where the Holy of Holies uh, is. And for centuries, Jews were forbidden uh, to ascend to the mountain, not because it lacked sanctity, but because it was too sacred and the fear that it would be desecrated by um, the unpure uh, treading on the area of the Holy of Holies. Uh, to this day, because of this excessive sanctity, the vast majority of rabbinic opinion uh, continues to posit that uh, Jews are not allowed to ascend to the mount. Um, and there is a sign to that effect uh, at the entrance. And the rabbis who now sanction Jewish pilgrimage and prayer on the mount um, are very much associated with the settler movement, not exclusively, but almost exclusively. Um, ironically, this has been extremely stabilizing because uh, the term status quo doesn't really apply to the Temple Mount until 1967 uh, because Jews did not aspire to prey on the Mount. Um, and status quo becomes an operative term which, in which when you have contesting, uh, contested claims with practical implications. So there's a status quo at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Um, there is a status quo, or was, at Rachel's tomb. Uh, there was not on the Temple Mount. Um, now, that does not mean that uh, the Temple Mount didn't figure prominently. It did. Um, it was of iconic value in literature, particularly in the uh, literature of the right wing and the revisionist movement. But some of Israel's great poets like Uri Tzvi Greenberg highlight the Temple Mount. But Jews did not ascend. If you look at the uh, contested sites during the British mandate, there was a bitter um, uh, uh, struggle going on over the Western Wall, where Jews sought to pray, and there was uh, there were elements of humiliation. Uh, none of that existed with the Temple Mount. As a matter of fact, um, uh, Sir Moses Montefiore, I believe, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, Baron Rothschild, when visiting Jerusalem, um, uh, went to the Temple Mount on a litter. They were carried onto the Mount so they would not tread on the Mount. Uh, that all changed in 1967, uh, and a new dynamic uh, emerged, which required the definition of a status quo on the Mount, because for the first time in centuries, there were uh, Jews who aspired to not only visit, but also to pray on the Mount.
Before we get to 1967, I want to go back to an earlier period and examine the history of this rule. And I understand what you're saying about the distinction between status quo and and other rules, but for the sake of simplicity, because that's how uh, it's often referred to in the media, I'm going to call it the status quo again. Where does the current status quo come from? Let's give historical background um, and then the actual birth. The historical background is that since the Crusader period, um, uh, the there was a Muslim ruling that only Muslims allowed to enter the mountain, much like Saudi Arabia, the infidels were not allowed in. And that only changed um, in the wake of the Crimean War in the mid-19th century, when the Ottoman Empire um, was reaching out towards the West. And part of that, along with the greater European presence, the consular presence in Jerusalem, uh, uh, opened up the Temple Mount for the first time to the visits, not the prayers, but the visits of non-Muslims. And that remained the case uh, pretty much throughout um, the British mandate. That didn't mean that this was a common placid site all the time. Uh, In the early part of the 20th century, there was an eccentric British uh, uh, archeologist who um, wanted to uh, excavate and look for the vessels of the Jewish temple on the mount. Uh, he bribed the waqf guards, uh, was uncovered. There was a con- eruption of convulsive violence, and we've seen that happen since. Uh, and he basically fled Jerusalem um, um, with his life, going to Jaffa, and I believe from there to Turkey. Uh, The real status quo was born on the third day of the 1967 war. Those were fascinating three days. Uh, um, We did not seek Israel, um, the war with Jordan, and we were rather surprised uh, and unprepared when it broke out. Um, We did not expect the Jordanians to enter the fray. Uh, During those first uh, two, three days, there was a debate raging in the Israeli cabinet. Do we or do we not take the Temple Mount? Do we need this uh, site? It was not a question about taking the West Bank of Jerusalem. That we were already doing. But specifically, is it healthy for the Jews to control the Temple Mount? Uh, Ironically, the most reluctant and the, the greatest opposition came from the religious parties, both the ultra-Orthodox and the national religious. Now, on the um, first or second day of the war, I believe it was the second day, uh, Moshe Dayan, who is the legendary minister of defense, went to Mount Scopus, got on the roof of one of the buildings, the National Library, if I'm not mistaken, and looking out over the old city and the Temple Mount, muttered, who the hell needs all of these Vaticans? He was not enthusiastic about taking the old city and the Temple Mount. Um, but the die was cast. Otherwise, and the following morning, the Israeli paratroopers took the Temple Mount and the Old City. Uh, And four hours later, two o'clock in the afternoon, Dayan arrived at the Mount 
with his entourage and um, uh, his adjutant general, Mayor Shamgar, later to become chief justice of the Israeli Supreme Court, drew his attention to the fact that the uh, troops, the paratroopers, uh, had unfurled Israeli flags from the top of the mosques. And Dayan barked, take those down and never put them up again. We do not need a holy war. And basically from the very beginning, Israel recognized the autonomy and the proprietary status, Muslim proprietary status on the Mount. And what we now know as the Temple Mount as a place of worship for Muslims only had roots historically, but um, summed up by Netanyahu very succinctly, that status quo at its core with all of the varying interpretations is uh, Muslims pray on the Temple Mount, non-Muslims visit the Temple Mount, which is at the core, I believe, of every reasonable interpretation of um, the status quo, although obviously it's more complex than that. I want to come back to that distinction between praying and visiting, but before we go back to that, I want to focus in on this pretty momentous chapter in history for centuries under the Ottoman Empire and then during this brief period of Jordanian occupation, the Temple Mount and its environs in the Old City had been under the control of a Muslim government. So how do things change uh, once the Israeli government comes in in 1967 with the IDF taking control of East Jerusalem during the Six-Day War? You, you, you are hitting the nail on the head probably more than you could possibly know. There's, there's a vignette associated with that, again, dealing with Moshe Dayan. As I mentioned on the second day of the war, he was very reluctant, if, not, uh, if he didn't even oppose uh, taking the old city in the Temple Mount. But uh, when he did visit uh, on the third day of the war at the early afternoon, he went on camera and waxed poetic and said, the Jewish people have returned to our most sacred sites and we will never take leave of them again. What a difference a day makes. 24 hours earlier, he didn't want to deal with these Vatican's and the uh, day after, he was uh, speaking in terms of almost biblical salvation. And he was not unique. Um, there is um, uh, a term used in Hebrew, but I believe it's Aramaic, amikta, from the, the heights to the depths. Well, we went from the depths to the heights. Um, in the three weeks before the war, Israeli society girded itself for the possibility of uh, massacre, of uh, being annihilated. Uh, the Independence Park in the center of Jerusalem was consecrated in the middle of the night uh, by the chief rabbis as a cemetery. We expected tens of thousands of civilian casualties. And instead of that, we found ourselves face to face with sites which symbolized Jewish exile. We were unprepared for it, and there was this rush. Um, so the Israeli war with Jordan one can quibble about Egypt, but with Jordan clearly was a war of self-defense, but the significance of that war was transformed or began to be transformed in the heat of battle. 
and what was a war of self-defense uh, morphed into a war of biblical salvation, if not expansion. And that has remained with us. Having said that, uh, it was clear from the get-go to the leadership of Israel, I believe much of Israeli society, that control of um, the Temple Mount Aram el-Sharif imposed a great deal of responsibility uh, and was uh, a potentially very volatile uh, site. Speaking of that volatility, so now you have the very sensitive distinction between praying and visiting. What does that mean? What did it mean back then? And, and has the meaning changed at all over the years? The status quo has all sorts of elements beyond that. Um, and if I could oversimplify, I would describe the um, the a, a characteristic Jewish approach and a characteristic um, Muslim Palestinian approach. Um, the approach of the Palestinians of the uh, Islamic Waqf is that uh, the Temple Mount Haram al Sharif al Aqsa is occupied territory, uh, not uh, uh, not unlike the occupation of anywhere else in East Jerusalem and the West Bank. Um, the occupier uh, does not own the mount. Uh, at best, the occupier can manage the mount in a very limited way, uh, maintaining public order, protecting antiquities, things of that nature. Uh, which is something an occupier can do. But the ownership and the management of the site is Muslim. And uh, the Muslim waqf is at liberty to act on the site as if it were the owner, which, really, which as it sees itself. Um, for the Jews, even those who don't pray on the mount, this is our most sacred site. And the question of ownership is immaterial, although there are those in the Temple Mount movement who clearly say that the uh, Muslims are usurpers. Um, but out of magnanimity and generosity, Israel has decided to give autonomy to the Muslim waqf. Uh, they don't really own it, and we have the final say. Now, this leads to a great deal of misunderstanding, because... Uh, from a Muslim perspective, even when everybody is acting in good faith, we can do whatever we want unless it um, jeopardizes public order or jeopardizes the archaeological, historical, religious, and cultural um, uh, equities on, on the mount. Um, from the perspective of is, uh, official Israel, we will recognize certain ground rules, but the final say is ours. Now, um, in 1967, uh, emerged a movement, the Temple Mount movement, and they filed suit to the Israeli Supreme Court, I believe as early as August of 1967, saying, uh, Jews should be allowed to pray on the mount. This was a tiny minority at the time, a fringe, and there would some who would say something of a lunatic fringe. 
but as uh, years went by and um, uh, religious Zionism and to a certain extent the fringes of the ultra-Orthodox were more influenced by um, the national ethos, um, possession, the land of Israel, that began to grow and it moved from the fringes uh, towards the mainstream. And today, um, I think it's fair to say that there is probably um, a majority, certainly in the Netanyahu government, but probably in this, that would support Jewish prayer on the Mount. Um, however, Israel's intelligence and security community, uh, whether it's the Mossad, the Shin Bet, or the police, uh, would clearly weigh in and caution against Jewish prayer. Now, um, a, a number of years ago, the commander of the Jerusalem Police Department uh, was interviewed and said, anybody, any Jew who advocates a change in the status quo in the Temple Mount um, would not enter the site under my watch, full stop. He wouldn't let them in. Uh, and uh, until 2000, um, access to the site, who exactly was allowed in, was not only in the hands of Israel, but also in the hands of the Waqf guards. Formerly, Israel controls the periphery of the mount, and the mount itself, uh, the security is provided by the Waqf guards. Danny, can you explain briefly what the Islamic Waqf is? Uh, the Islamic Waqf is an endowment or a, uh, a foundation. Now, there are religious endowments um, which serve uh, the purposes of the Muslim faith community. And then there are family endowments as well. Um, uh, the Islamic Waqf in Jerusalem um, has the control and the management of uh, the Muslim holy sites in Jerusalem, not only the Temple Mount, uh, but clearly the Temple Mount is most prominent. And it is they that um, uh, have the say as to uh, the management of the site. Um, traditionally, the Waqf was an organ of the government of Jordan. Today, it's more complicated than that. But under the um, uh, peace agreement between Jordan and Israel, Israel recognized um, the special Jordanian role in the Muslim sites in Jerusalem and basically acknowledging the Jordanian character of the Muslim endowment, the Waqf. And many of the decisions made as to what transpires in the mountain is not a local decision. It's not between the Israeli police and the Waqf guards or the director of the Waqf, but between um, the Israel and the Jordanians, and since the Oslo process, also the Palestinians, so it needs to be triangulated. But the dominant um, factor in the Waqf is the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan with representatives of other stakeholders, including the Emirates and the PA and the Islamic movement. Sort of the Waqf committee uh, is pluralistic, but, the, but calling the shots remains Jordanian for the most part. 
As if the religious dimension here wasn't complicated enough, it's clear that there's also a nationalistic dynamic at play. You mentioned not only a Muslim perspective on the Temple Mount, but a Palestinian Muslim perspective. So uh, how does this play into the different nationalisms at work in Jerusalem? Well, I, I think that in this in this case, the um, Jewish-Israeli approach and the Palestinian-Muslim approach mirror one another. Um, I was in Alexandria, I believe, at a conference in the beginning of 2001, and there were tensions in the Mount and which um, generated large-scale uh, demonstrations in Alexandria, where I was. So I was able to watch a, an Egyptian demonstration, students mostly, about concerns on Haram al-Sharif and al-Aqsa. So this is clearly uh, an issue that affects Muslims throughout the world. And the same can be said about uh, the Temple Mount. Uh, there's a whole polemic around what's the holiest site in Judaism, but Temple Mount or um, uh, Western Wall, but clearly Jews around the world have an attachment to the site. However, in both cases, um, the Mount has become a focus of um, Jewish nationalism and Palestinian nationalism. Um, uh, they, that functions differently. L largely um, for Israeli Jews, this is limited to the issue of access and prayer. Uh, for the Palestinians, basically, um, I would say the Mount is perceived to be the least occupied part of occupied East Jerusalem. It is their safe space. It's where the Israeli police and authorities are most restrained. Um, so uh, when in the summer of 2017, there were large demonstrations over installing metal detectors, Israel installing metal detectors at the gates uh, of the Mount there were large demonstrations, but they were mostly from young Palestinians who, you know, as we would say, weren't from. They were not religious in the um, uh, classic sense, but they have a deep attachment to the Mount, and they felt that the Palestinian and not only the Muslim equities were being undermined. Right. And, you know, you're mentioning the metal detector crisis and the non-religiosity of some of the Palestinians involved just suddenly called to mind for me that, you know, you look at a lot of the uh, iconography or, or logos of different Palestinian political parties, and a lot of them have the Dome of the Rock on uh, or, or Al-Aqsa Mosque featured in their, their logo. So clearly a prominent role there. Um, you mentioned before that Israel's various security agencies and intelligence agencies have cautioned against uh, breaching the status quo. So how have violations or perceived violations of the status quo fed tensions between Israelis and Palestinians in the past? I will tell you a personal story. Um, several years ago, I visited... Uh, Jordan, and met with the member of the royal family who has responsibility for Jerusalem and specifically for the Waqf. 
interesting character. And he said to me, Danny, you know, um, when there are all sorts of problems on the Mount, I used to be able to go and talk to Shimon Shamir, who was the ambassador in Jordan, or Danny Rothschild, who was the um, uh, commander of the um, Israeli civil administration in the West Bank, or Ephraim Alevi, who was head of the Mossad. Today, when there are problems, who do I go to? Um, uh, because the decision-making um, had left, uh, in many ways, the prime minister's office. Well, I didn't have an answer for that. So when I returned to Jerusalem, I called uh, a friend who was head of the Jordanian desk at the Israeli foreign ministry and said, you know, what's the answer to that? Uh, and the answer was, go to the police commander uh, at the police station at the Kishla, because decisions that were made after due deliberation uh, at the highest levels involving um, the National Security Council, the Mossad, the Shin Bet, and the police are now being made at a local level by the police. Um, in recent years... One of the major changes on the Mount has been the role of the Israeli police. Um, the police was the arm of official Israel that maintained uh, stability on the Mount. Uh, an extremely difficult and, and, and delicate task. And I would say that for years, the police were uh, one of the major stabilizing factors uh, on Haram al-Sharif, the Temple Mount. However, in recent years, and I'm talking about five, six, seven years, that has changed under, under the Netanyahu government, especially um, with Gilad Ardan and then Ohana as minister of police, where the commander of the Temple Mount knew that um, his career advancement would not be by avoiding a conflagration on the Mount, but by allowing Jewish prayer. And we began to see a, uh, an erosion of the status quo. Uh, Jews, the police turning a blind eye to Jews increasingly, in an increasing demonstrative way, praying initially silently, but clearly on the Mount, and rather than being something of a referee, and uh, they became a partisan and uh, in league with uh, the Temple Mount movement, which now had backing uh, in the Israeli government. Um, formally, uh, Israel has maintained, uh, we continue to support the status quo. And this dimension of the status quo is not subject to interpretation. Muslims pray, Jews visit. Um, and that was reaffirmed by Naftali Bennett just a couple of months ago. However, in practice, um, there is Jewish prayer. It's, not, it's more than um, individual prayer. Um, the numbers of visits uh, has soared from a few a couple of thousand a year to 30, 000, more than 30,000, I believe, this past year. 
Um, but it is also a, a, a more visible and often more provocative presence. Uh, just today, I, I saw um, uh, somebody had posted to Facebook um, uh, something from yesterday. We just returned from the Temple Mount where we um, uh, had a minion, uh, said Musaf, um, uh, said Kaddish, with a large congregation. You know, um, so on the one hand, Israel professes to maintaining the status quo. The reality on the ground is that the status quo has eroded so much that to all intents and purposes, it doesn't exist. So even under the new Israeli government, it seems that the status quo is kind of sliding away. I would certainly say that although I would not attribute that to the policies of this government. Um, that may well be their position, that they will you know, pay lip service to the status quo, but allow for the Temple Mount movement to continue to eat away at the foundations of the status quo. I, I would not attribute that to the current government. They're new at this. Um, the government has invested a good deal of time and effort at the highest echelons of restoring uh, good relations with the Jordanians, um, with um, you know, Ganslapid and, and, and even Bennett, uh, meeting with them. Uh, the issue of the Temple Mount came up. Uh, there is a lot more goodwill, and I believe um, it's very interesting. Um, uh, until a few years ago, I would have given Netanyahu very good grades in the way he handled the Temple Mount, very, very deftly. And he was very attentive to Jordanian concerns and was the most moderate uh, uh, element um, in his cabinet. And that changed. And he became, in recent years, more um, dismissive, perhaps contemptuous, of the Jordanian Jordanian role, so much so that there were reports that um, he was involved in all sorts of schemes to take control away from the Jordanians and give it to um, the Saudis. I don't see any of that in the current government. Um, but I also do not see this government uh, yet having an impact on policy. There is a uh, new minister of police, Omer Barlev, who was in the past a peace now activist. He's also a former commander of Sayeret Matkal, our crack uh, military unit. Um, uh, I do not believe one can see the impact of his policies or those of the government at the moment. I don't believe the final word has been said. Increasingly, we see a willingness among um, elements in official Israel, in Jordan, among the Palestinians, and certainly in the international community to turn a new leaf and to rehabilitate uh, the status quo, even if we don't quite know what that means. Um, so I would not um, um, fault the current government. This is a very delicate issue. It is clearly a high priority of the Biden administration to see a restoration of the status quo, even though their involvement is 
um, I would say very restrained that this is a matter that is best left to um, Israelis, Palestinians, and Jordanians. But it is a cause of deep concern, not only um, in Jerusalem, Ramallah, and Amman, but in the capitals of Europe and in Washington. Before we close out, you've mentioned a couple of times the role of Jordan in managing the Temple Mount. We just passed the one-year anniversary of Abraham Accords, that series of normalization agreements between Israel and several Arab states uh, that were reached last year. In the context of warmer Israel-Gulf-Arab ties, there had been rumors during the Trump administration's tenure that the U.S. might support a greater Saudi or even an Emirati role on the Temple Mount at Jordan's expense. What would this have meant, and is this still a concern for the Jordanians? Well, first of all, um, and this is not mere speculation, uh, if you look at the Trump plan, the Trump plan officially uh, changes, changed the position of the United States government and said that the Temple Mount uh, is a place of worship for people of all faiths. Uh, which was a radical departure from the status quo. Now, even David Friedman had to walk that back a bit, but the wording is unequivocal uh, that that was the goal, uh, that this was not taking place by accident. Um, the, the normalization process um, from the get-go um, was deeply related to the issues concerning the Temple Mount. And one of the achievements um, that was pointed to was Muslims from all over the world will be entitled to go and make a pilgrimage to the Temple Mount. Well, that's not new. You know, that's always been the case. There have been thousands of Turkish and Indonesian and Malaysian uh, uh, tourists coming, coming to the Mount. Um, there was an attempt um, I think rather surreptitiously, with the knowledge and consent of David Friedman and Netanyahu, to, to put wording into the accords themselves, which would have recognized the Jewish right of prayer on the Temple Mount. Um, the Gulf states were completely oblivious to this, and when they found out, that wording disappeared. But um, when... Muslim pilgrims came from the Emirates to the Temple Mount. They were not warmly received by um, the Islamic Waqf and by the Palestinians, because traditionally uh, foreign visitors were hosted by the Waqf, including Prince William or the Pope. Israel said, we would like to accompany them, and it was always the waqf that accompanied them. And the pilgrims who came to the mount um, initially were accompanied by Israeli police, and uh, some were, there were clashes on the mount. Uh, since then, uh, in large part because of um, the pandemic, but also because of the delicacy uh, there has been very few visits. Um, one of the elements um, of normalization is a marginalization, uh, a weakening 
of the pan-Arab commitment to the Palestinian cause, which is one of the reasons why the Palestinians have so much trouble with normalization. Um, it's almost as if they're saying, we're not going to um, let the Palestinians prevent us from having good relations from, with Israel. Um, we don't have a dog in this fight. Well, that's true, except when it comes to Al-Aqsa. Um, and um, nobody in the Arab and Muslim world can say we do not have a deep interest in Al-Aqsa. So uh, if there was any attention to ignore the conflict between Israelis and Palestinians in the process of normalization, that's quite possible on all sorts of issues. The Temple Mount, Haram al-Sharif, al-Aqsa will not let that happen. And um, the normalizing states have a stake in what takes place there. Now, ironically, uh, the familiarity uh, with the details uh, that you will find among the leadership in the Gulf and Saudi Arabia, such as, is passions are high and knowledge is low. So there's a learning process here. Um, but uh, even in the process of normalization, the issues surrounding Al-Aqsa, Haram al-Sharif, the Temple Mount, and the status quo uh, remain uh, pivotal in the nature of relations and the stability of the region. One final question before we end this episode. It's always struck me, and, and I say this without getting too much into to my personal beliefs, but uh, as a secular person, uh, that there is something of a fundamental unfairness uh, to the status quo, you know, leaving aside the theological debates over whether Jews should be able to uh, approach or, or tread on, on the site of the Holy of Holies, um, you know, as long as people are not, you know, bumping elbows and, and, and uh, you know, no one's hurting each other, why shouldn't people be able to pray where they want to pray? Um, and, and this is talking about the entire site of the Temple Mount, not just the structures. So I'm curious from your perspective, if there's a way to reconcile desire of some uh, Jews to come and pray on the Mount and the uh, Palestinian and Muslim perspective there and, and what it would take to achieve that? Very tough question. Um, the Temple Mount movement uh, tries to paint itself as Rosa Parks. You know, their freedom of speech, uh, combating the racism. Well, Rosa Parks didn't want to burn the, you know, throw the white folks out and burn the bus. One of the problems is that the people um, and the religious Jews who um, are spearheading this movement um, aspire in many cases to either dilute the Muslim presence or to eliminate it. Um, I would say that the status quo requires that the visits take place in accordance with the decorum of the site. And that is, that is not the case. Uh, the Palestinians and the Muslims feel threatened. And I think that that feeling is not unjustified. In addition, I'm going to give you two other, you know, what would happen if 
Chabad would say, you know, there are catacombs under the Vatican where, you know, it's been reported that the vessels of the temple uh, were taken after the destruction and the exile. We're going to set up, we're going to set up a shtibel there. And, you know, the Vatican will say, you know, what the hell is this? Um, You've never asked for that before, by the way. And they say, well, we changed our mind. And that's what we're saying to, uh, you know, this has been your mosque, your place of worship for centuries. We changed our mind. And it's accompanied with very problematic uh, behavior. Something similar, by the way, exists in the Western world. You know, if you go to the Western Wall, you can find that there will be visits by um, Indonesian Muslims who come to look at the site. But do you know that it is forbidden for Palestinians to enter the Western Wall Plaza? They're not allowed to. They're turned back, even if they live right next door. Um, You can get a permit. But you have to be feeble, disabled, elderly. You know, there are tens of Palestinians who have a permit, but you're not allowed in. So there's a good deal of false innocence. All of this uh, argues in favor of maintaining the status quo. Having said that, there were discussions uh, that took place in and around the Camp David uh, process uh, in 2000. We're in the framework of a permanent status agreement. Um, Some kind of permanent uh, Jewish presence would be allowed. I always thought that that would be very difficult to achieve, um, uh, given the bad blood between the parties uh, over the 20 years plus since then. I think that uh, currently it is a virtual impossibility. Having said that, there will be no political agreement in Jerusalem which will not assure a protection of the Jewish equities and the Jewish attachment to the site in the framework of um, the status quo. And if uh, the Waqf will have formal recognition of being the balabayit, the proprietor on the site, the WAC will have to demonstrate that it is the custodian of Jewish memory uh, um, and the Jewish artifacts under the mount. Um, at the moment, I think the best that one can hope for is to maintain um, uh, the status quo as interpreted. Don't dabble with it. Jerusalem is a very kind city to those who treat its complexities with the reverence it deserves. It's one nasty and aggressive and at times violent town to those who um, treat those complexities uh, dismissively. Having said that, there are dynamics that can change, but they will change uh, not by decisions made from above, but they will change when the climate and the atmosphere will open up possibilities which are not available to us today. Closing on that, of course, very simple question of how to reconcile the two uh, competing beliefs at the Temple Mount. That's all the time that we have for today. Thanks, Danny, for joining and for sharing your expertise. My pleasure. 
And for our listeners, be sure to look out for new hosts and new programming coming soon on Israel Policy Pod. And keep an eye out for Terrestrial Jerusalem's new podcast in the coming weeks as well. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you soon.